It's my U.S. concept of not to uh, regard third place matches very seriously, which is a terrible, terrible elitist viewpoint no it's it's okay i mean in the sense of it's okay of i'm my intentions are not noble i'm only watching this to troll england oh that's a good reason <laughs> it's a great reason <laughs> welcome to the edge of sports podcast i'm dave zyron this week, we speak to sports journalist and co-host of the Burn It All Down pod, Shireen Ahmed. We're going to speak with her about the French World Cup team and the Croatian World Cup team as well, and the political backstory to both of those squads. Also, I've got some choice words about Draymond Green and his recent trip to Israel. In addition, I've got Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down awards and so much more. But first, let's talk to Shireen Ahmed. Shireen, we're recording this the day before the World Cup final, just to be clear. And we have no idea if France is going to win against Croatia, although I think we both agree that that would be the... uh, the outcome that we would both like. But I just wanted to ask you, are, are you enjoying the cup so far, Shireen? I'm having an absolutely great time. I didn't think I would be as um, sort of, I didn't think that I would be as enthralled as I am. Um, I was exhausted after the group stages. So the amount of emotional investment that was put in, the way that the teams were coming at it the way we saw teams from Peru, like Colombia, everybody wanted them to win. Um, I just, I was fascinated and so excited by it. So yeah, this is probably in recent history, probably one of my favorite men's uh, tournaments. Mm. Now, when you look at this French team, uh, what do you see from a soccer perspective? Tactically, I think of a team that's been rebuilt. I think a lot of people don't have faith in Didier Deschamps at all. But I think this is more about, and for me, this uh, cup, this World Cup has also completely illustrated how important chemistry is on on the pitch. And I feel like this team just gels. From Giroud up front, who's older now, um, you know, Kylian Mbappe is just this young magician all the way through the midfield. Like you've got playmakers, like you've got Varane who comes up as an aggressive, uh, sorry, an attacking defender, Umtiti guarding in the back. You have, you know, the balls being passed. I mean, of course they're human, so they're not going to complete every pass, but just the way they maneuver. We know that there's a lot of friendships off, like Paul Pogba and Antoine Griezmann are like incredibly friends and I actually stand their bromance. I love it. I think it's amazing. Um, But you've got, you know, so much friendship and that word amitié, like of actual friendship. And you see that reflected on the pitch. It's not this haphazard sort of collection of players, like just running hard because football's not about that. It's about 11 players on the pitch, how they move. And we've seen that from France, but we've also seen that from Croatia, which is brilliant because if football was about one person, Portugal would have advanced and they didn't. Right. Very well put. Um, now, when you look at this French team, what do you see from a political perspective? What stands out to you? I mean, I have a lot of fun with this with this team in the sense of, you know, out of the roster of 23, 17 are from 
immigrant experiences or first generation, I see Frenchmen. That's what I see. And I see this team, like Les Bleus, redefining again, because <laughs> it needs to be redefined constantly, what it means to be French. I see people with multiple racial identities, which is beautiful. Like um, Mbappe has an Algerian mother and a Cameroonian father. And guess what? He's probably one of the most popular Frenchmen in the world right now. And that's beautiful to me. Um, it's it, it, the complexities of um, French identity. I mean, considering the political rhetoric in that country, everything from Marie Le Pen insisting that they're not French. Oh, absolutely. They're French, honey. You better sit down when the world is celebrating from the results and the excitement that this, this tournament has brought this country. You'll see it. I remarked a couple of days ago, um, you know, after the French Belgium match that Paul Pogba was fouled and immediately you saw thousands of fans in the stands jumping up, French fans, mostly white, uh, jumping up, screaming, you know, indignantly that their player was fouled. That's poignant because he's a black Muslim man. When are you going to see a bunch of French people jumping up, defending that? Like, so it's, we can lose ourselves in the football, in the moment, but it can also bring us to start having other conversations. And this conversation that we keep talking about politically about immigration, it's not about immigration only, it's about race. Mm -hmm. Can you speak about that, especially whiteness and identity with regards to this French team? Definitely. I think that the idea that, I mean, it's framed in the way, the narrative is framed in the way of immigration. Like, you know, they're, they're immigrants. I mean, Yes, that is true, but it's only a part of the conversation. Immigration is no stranger to French football. There's long storied histories. I mean, you had Raymond Kopov of Polish descent. You have Michel Platini, who is Italian. And then, of course, you know, <laughs> greatest of the great, uh, Zinedine Zidane, who's, who's Algerian Berber. So it's not as if that... Um, that immigration had never played a role. But, you know, Zidane, and, and I will offend a lot of people by saying this, is white passing. So there, there's there's shade privilege there. And and for the other two, Polish and Italian descent, they're also white. So they don't, that doesn't carry the same, you know, heaviness or weight, rather, that somebody would from North Africa, West Africa, or other, you know, formerly colonized uh, countries. So that's really interesting to talk about and to recognize. Um, another point that's really interesting, and a lot of people do not realize this, the French national women's team has a tremendous amount of uh, uh, North African and, and women of uh, immigration as well as immigration histories as well. So a lot of people don't realize this. This is something in French football that is in innate. And I think that it's important to recognize that there's no conflation of identity versus football. The idea is that French football, this, this idea that it has to be purely, quote unquote, French. Well, guess what? These players are flipping that on its head. What does it actually mean to be French? And guess what? It means that you can dye your hair blonde and dab. Mm -hmm. That's what Paul Pogba's done. It means that Varane can, you know, come up and he can, you know, be boisterous in the celebrations. It means that Umtiti can go and strut. Oh, God, that strut was beautiful. And, you know, after he scored and that he can hold the identity of being French in whatever way he wants. And that that for me was so, so powerful. 
Well, there is this gap, as you referenced, between how much France loves this team and the anti-Muslim and anti-immigrant and racist sentiments in France. Do you think sports, winning a World Cup, do you think it has the capacity to change those attitudes once all the confetti's been uh, swept away? I mean, I'm, I'm positive. You, you know this. When I'm not ranting on Twitter, I'm very, very positive. Um, the thing is, is I've always believed that sports can be a vehicle for, you know, betterment of society and also for creating conversations that need to be had about these things. And I definitely think sport is a way to do it. Um, it in When I was growing up, and, and I remember watching um, Zidane lift that cup, like, the Champs-Élysées was lit up and it was lit up because of an Algerian Muslim man. Like that was incredibly powerful, even though the conversations and that right wing xenophobia, Islamophobia was, has always festered. So I do think it can be, I mean, now you've got players like Lilian Turam who are talking about the experiences about immigration. Like he gave a really cool interview the other day. It was, um, and talking about exactly this can, sport be used and should football be used but the point is that football has always been a way to have conversations and and sort of bring acknowledgement because previously it would feel and it would seem as if these players were used they would benefit the country they would represent the country and then they were french but when they flaked out in, in in 2010 and they collapsed terribly as a squad and also went out in the group stages in in, in 2014 we you know we didn't see the, everyone touting them as French they were of whoever and just for example Romelu Lukaku has said this the Belgian striker that when he does well he's the Belgian phenom when he does poorly He's of Congolese descent. And we see this same rhetoric being repeated in French media as well, in French society. But now we're at a team, like this team is, has been rebuilt. This is the new generation of Les Bleus. This is a hopeful team. They carry hope. They carry multiple racial like uh, identities. They carry swag. Like this is an unbelievably swaggy team. Um, they bring excitement to it to the pitch definitely and they've definitely brought it to this world cup and i think this is going to start this will have people thinking if they're not thinking already and let's not forget i mean there's this whole other generation of football lovers and youth in in, in france and actually disenfranchised you the, mm-hmm. the amount of young muslim or arab descent or you know a black young people that are there that feel disconnected absolutely football is a way to tie them in. And I'm not talking about sort of this idea of, you know, having them adapt and lose their identities within French culture, which is very much the assimilation that French would, France would like. I'm talking about them feeling connected to something bigger than xenophobic policies. And football absolutely does that. Mm. Now, I, I got to get you on. Well, before I ask you for, for a prediction, I just want to be clear, everybody listening to this out there should know that we are recording this the day before the World Cup final, and we are not going to post it until after the World Cup final. So before we, we go, I ask you for a prediction on that, I guess I want to ask you if you have any, any um, impressions of this Croatian team 
which is obviously constructed very differently than the French team. It's the second smallest country to ever reach a World Cup final. Uh, what do you think of their game? Because I want to make sure we give them props in case they uh, shock the world on Sunday. Croatia gets mad props from me. And in fact, I'm going to humble brag and say that I called a French-Croatian final. Stop. Did I did, really? June 30th. I did. June 30th was my tweet. And I've been backing oh, Croatia. Wow backing Croatia for a long time. Le Bleu is my emotional favorite, but Croatia, it, it was so powerful and people didn't realize this. Portugal peaked way too early and couldn't keep up. You have to look at the way that the group stages went. They were toiling and toiling the way that Balkan countries do. They toiled. They were steady. I mean, it cannot be emphasized enough how much of an incredible goalkeeper Daniel Subasic is. You, you, you can't emphasize that. And only at this level of play do we see at World Cup levels, do we see goalkeepers be brilliant and shine. He's, he was phenomenal. And out of the one of my favorite players of, you know, currently at Barcelona is Ivan Rakitic. And he's a quiet assassin. He took over from Xavi Hernandez. And and Javi is Javi, like he's a legend. And to have that transition happen, like he's learned from the best, he's picked up him and Luka Modric, both play in Spain. Modric plays at Real Madrid. But I also love them for the reason is that they're a group of survivors. We've had some really important conversations about, you know, racialized identities in France. But let's talk about how the Croatian team, many of those players have survived war and displacement in their own lives. Luka Modric's father was killed by Serbian forces and he grew up in hiding for a better part of his childhood from, you know, hiding from shelling and attacks in the small villages. So these are real histories of people. So am I rooting for Croatia in a way? Absolutely. Because of their stories, because of that history and people are like, no, football isn't political and you know what we want to do to those people. But yes. the... This this story was also not just simply about that. It was also tactically the way that they play, the way that their aggressiveness and their game IQ is beyond incredible. The way that they pass to each other, Menzuzic's, you know, re reception when he received the pass and then they beat out England. Um, I wanted Croatia to win. I wasn't 100% sure it was going to happen, but I was so pleased it did because their formation, their movement has been so different than what we're used to seeing. And I want to see more of it. So I'm, I'm, yeah, in my heart, I love Les Bleus. I have for a long time, but I would sincerely be thrilled for Croatia if they want. So you may have been one of the only people to predict a Croatia-France final on June 30th. I mean, that's incredibly impressive. Uh, so I, 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 you're the perfect person to ask this. I mean, do you have a prediction? Ah, oh, I hope I'm, I hope, part of me is hope, I hope I'm wrong. I mean, this is the only time that I can tell you unequivocally, if either team wins, my heart will be happy. I love France and I always will in a way. Like this is me struggling with decolonizing my brain. Um, What's that about before you go on? Like how long have you been a fan of Les Bleus and, and uh, oh, where, does, where, does, where does that come from? Um... Zidane. It started with Zidane. It started with back, back then, like for me to be a young girl in a coastal Canadian city, watching the triumph and glory of French football, football at 
the feet of a Berber man. It meant a lot to me, particularly with my own, you know, issues around football and not being allowed to play and uh, because of my hijab and just never seeing that recognition and understanding the very strong and horrific colonial past that France had in those regions. And then having a young man come up, grow up, you know, from an from poverty and 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 go up and and claim that as his own and Zidane was Zidane he made French football his own and that's what we're seeing these new players do I mean he's been very quiet I would have liked to see a lot more of him around but um and, and I also have to say Thierry Henry I I think he's plays with so much finesse I've loved him forever um I think that those things like even um, Barthez and the way that in goalkeeping that he was fearless and angry like just Emmanuel Petit that whole that whole crowd just swept me away. It absolutely swept me away. So it's been, I mean, I can't say I've been loving France since like the fifties because like mm-hmm. I wasn't born, but, um, that history. And I'm also watching this team crumble mm-hmm. and in front of me was very, <laughs> very powerful. And then watching them rebuild, which is a beautiful story in itself. So, and, and now they're at the world cup final and I would, I, I really do love them internationally. Like, Les Bleus, the the feminine side, like Les Féminines, the, the the women's side is my is my favorite. Like Louisa Nisib Katamuro is probably one of my all time favorite players. Like full stop, and the way that they capture and play French football when it works, I'll, I'll underline that when it works, is magnificent, and I love it. And that being said, I don't want like my Croatian friends not to send me pita because I, I <laughs> want to give props to them too. So wow, I I would really, I'd really love France to win, but I would be so so happy for Croatia. What's your prediction though? What do you oh, think man, will happen? Oh man, Dave, we tried to skirt around that. Oh, I know. You I say th- what you want to happen, I, but what do you think will happen? I think I think we'll see. A, I don't think we'll go to pens. I think we'll see maybe a 2-1 for France. Yeah. Wow. That would I be know. one hell of a final. I mean, I don't want to ruin my prediction thing because I did. Just, I just want to end off on a good note. Like oh, say I called the oh, but, uh, no, You already have all the props. You don't have to, you're, you're, you're playing with house money as we say. <laughs> so um, that's what I, and I, you know, I want to see that joy and I, I want to see that, joy reinstated and I'm so happy for so many reasons that these are two teams that a lot of people didn't predict that would get there that there was no they were they were written off I love that Croatia was quote unquote written off mm-hmm. and they kept they kept going forward I remember I started saying Croatia in June and people were like no you're crazy I'm like have you watched them play like they're they haven't peaked yet. Have you have you watched them? And I'm, this is one of the things I love about it. I'm also severely gutted that Senegal went out the way they did. I don't think I'm ever going to get over that. I'm so salty about it. But, you know, I, I'm so excited that these two teams are there because we need a different flavor of, of a World Cup final. And, like, we, we're over Spain. We're so over Spain. So I think that this is this is beautiful. Fantastic. Well, one question I always ask folks as we go out on this show is what music you're listening to these days. So as you're enjoying the World Cup, as you are analyzing, what music is playing in the background for you, Shireen? You know what? My friend Josh Nadel actually put together a World Cup playlist, which is really fun. Um, Jay, I think it's J.N. Nadel. I can't remember his Twitter handle. Um, 
and he put together uh, a really cool playlist and I've been kind of going through that. I also have been listening. I really, really like the uh, Nicky Jam Will Smith song and people are like, what are you talking about? There's no better song than Waka Waka. And I do, I do my Shakira Waka Waka very, very often. And in terms of just general hype music, I'm also listening to this song called Colors by Jason Derulo. And one of the versions is featuring a Pakistani singer named Kurat Ain Baloch. And it's a lot of fun. Um, it's hype music. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's really, really fun. It's uplifting, which is what we want the World Cup to be as we sort of try to grapple with knowing that it's this incredibly corrupt, horrible tournament, like full of like <laughs> wretched politicians, like that whole yeah. vision of Mohammed bin Salman with Infantino with Putin. It just made me want to wretch, you know, and, um, so <laughs> losing ourselves in the matches and the music is, is, is also a totally acceptable way to handle this. Fantastic. Hey, I, I got to tell you, Shireen, you are just the best interview. And thank you so much for appearing with us here on the Edge of Sports podcast. Thanks for having me, Dave. We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation Magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe, and please never forget that when you support The Nation Magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now I've got some choice words about Draymond Green and the state of Israel. So... The NBA champion Golden State Warriors are a team that has proudly symbolized resistance to Donald Trump and his autocratic agenda. This is a squad that for the second straight season was ready to snub a White House visit and then Trump, in a Twitter snit that inspired LeBron James to call the president a bum, rescinded an invitation that had never been accepted. Many of the players on the Warriors had already gone on record to say that a photo op at the White House was just not going to happen. One of the strongest statements came from all-star forward Draymond Green, who took his reasons to CNN, saying, It's not about seeing Donald Trump or anything else that goes with that, but more so about what we stand for. In order to affect change, you have to stand for something. He's absolutely correct, but it makes one wonder what Draymond Green was standing for when he visited another president last week, President Reuven Rivlin of Israel. In a trip organized by Friends of the Israel Defense Forces, Green presented Rivlin with a Warriors jersey as Rivlin said, It's not every day I meet an all-star. Green also visited the Border Police's counter-terrorism unit and shot some baskets with the unit on a court donated by the Michigan chapter of Friends of the IDF. 
Then Draymond Green posed, intentionally or not, as if he was a sniper, smiling for the camera, lying prone flat on his stomach, holding a rifle. There's also footage of Green taking target practice with the police. This, just like a White House visit would have been, was a propaganda visit, immediately tweeted out by the Israel Police Foreign Press spokesman Mickey Rosenfeld. It was shocking to see Draymond Green smiling in their company. These counterterrorism border police units are part of a military that shot and killed more than 60 Palestinians who were protesting at the border in May, less than two months ago. Palestinians were raising their voices, not only against the decision of the United States to move their embassy to Jerusalem, but their daily reality of living in the open-air prison that is Gaza, surrounded by walls, checkpoints, and one of the most well-funded militaries on Earth. Imagine Green visiting the Ferguson Police Department while fires were still smoldering in 2014. He never would have done it. Yet this visit was somehow fine, legitimizing a regime that just engaged in a massacre. It was exactly the kind of trip that Michael Bennett and other NFL players refused to participate in last year because of the parallels between the plight of Palestinians and the Black Lives Matter struggle against police violence in the United States. Given that the actor Natalie Portman, the singer Lord, and the Argentinian national soccer team have recently pulled out of visits to Israel because of these human rights abuses, Draymond's grip raises the uncomfortable question of why. Why go on a trip organized by friends of the IDF? Why pal around with counterterrorism troops on the border? Why reject Donald Trump and accept the invitation of Rivlin? Why visit counterterrorism border police units so soon in the aftermath of the May killings? We don't have answers to these questions. But if Draymond Green is going to go on CNN to explain why he wouldn't visit Donald Trump, there's no reason he shouldn't answer these queries as well. Maybe they'll be asked by his coach, Steve Kerr, whose father, Dr. Malcolm Kerr, was one of the preeminent Western scholars of the Arab world. It is beautifully true that the Golden State Warriors have stood for using basketball and their voices as instruments of peace and justice. Draymond Green's allowing himself used in this way stands as strongly counterposed to that very tradition. Hey everybody, this is Dave Zirin from the Edge of Sports Podcast. We are trying to add all kinds of bells and whistles to this pod. To do that, we need more folks who can sustain its existence. Go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. That is where you'll find us. If you become a patron, you'll see you get all kinds of little treats. But it's so important that people help us sustain and do the work. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. And you can give five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, or if you're feeling mighty generous, a hell of a lot more than that. And all of that helps us do the kind of work that we're trying to do on the regular. Patreon.com slash Edge of Sports Pod. And now back to the broadcast. now it's time for the part of the show we call Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down. The Just Stand Up Award this week goes to a familiar recipient of that award, Michael Bennett, currently of the Philadelphia Eagles, formerly of the Seattle Seahawks, someone who I wrote a book with called Things That Make White People Uncomfortable. 
Very proud of the fact it just again hit the New York Times bestseller list in the category of sports and leisure. And I want to give Michael Bennett props for an interview he just did with GQ. Michael Bennett is a GQ man. You got to find this interview where Michael speaks in depth about what it means to be an athlete who wants to be understood as a human being. Please check it out if you get the chance. Michael Bennett in GQ. He's standing up all over the place. I couldn't even pick just one quote from the interview because he's just going to town left and right. Bam. It was very cool. It was like watching Aaron Pryor box back in the day, just hitting it from all different angles. It was beautiful. So just stand up to Michael Bennett in GQ. Just sit your ass down. Sit your ass down. We had a couple of big nominees this week. There's a big part of me that wants to give it to John Schnatter uh, from Papa John's, who's now no longer with Papa John's. The John from Papa John's is no more uh, because it was revealed that he dropped the N-word in the middle of a conference call that was about sensitivity training. What a shocker that John Schnatter, the person who opposed all of the protests in the National Football League against police violence and for racial equity, also happens to be a racist. My goodness, whoever would have thunk that the Venn diagram would have crossed in such a manner. But John Schnatter, gone from Papa John's. Now all Papa John's has to worry about is the fact that their pizza tastes like an adhesive that you would use to fix a model airplane. If only Papa John's could figure that out, then maybe people would eat their pizza, independent of the racism. And as I talk about Papa John's, i got to criticize NBC News. This was their tweet about it. They said, Breaking, Papa John's announces resignation of John Schnatter as chairman of the board following admission to racial remark. And Dictionary.com had the best response to this, retweeted by Colin Kaepernick, that said, Racial is an adjective meaning of or relating to the social construct of race. Racist is an adjective describing a belief that one's own racial group is superior or that a particular racial group is inferior to the others. Use of the N-word is the latter. Yes, don't say racial if you mean racist. And thank you, Colin Kaepernick, for retweeting that out. Now, other than that very timely retweet, the only Kaepernick watch I have for this week is pointing out what a lot of folks have pointed out, which is that it is an absolute crime and a sin that Colin Kaepernick and his buddy Eric Reed are still not playing in the National Football League just because they dared to raise their voices against police violence and racial inequity. While meanwhile this week you've had numerous cases of violence against women that have come forward against players like Marcel Darius, uh, LaShawn McCoy, and former NFL player Kellen Winslow Jr. That one's been percolating for a while. These are terrible cases. I mean, to even talk about them in detail would require uh, trigger warning after trigger warning. And it just says something about the National Football League um, that if you commit or are accused of acts of violence against women, there's always a second chance for you. Uh, But if you dare be political 
uh, then you're going to get chopped off at the knees. And this just speaks to what NFL owners value, which is the black body and not the black mind. That's the dichotomy at work. And that's what I think Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed have exposed like nobody else. Well, that's all we have for this week. Thank you so much to Shireen Ahmed for joining us on the show. Thank you to all our listeners out there. I promise you very soon we're going to have some extras over at Patreon for the people who follow us, for the people who support us. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Thank you to our sponsors also at The Nation Magazine who help us put this show on every week. For everybody out there listening, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.